0: The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and we have a surprise guest for you this week. I was thrilled when Earth Day royalty, Tia Nelson, responded to our request that she come on the podcast with an enthusiastic, how about tomorrow? So on Earth Day Eve, she and I hit the Zoom and had a lovely conversation about her inspiration. Her father, the late Senator Gaylord Nelson, and her current work to bring people together on climate change, as well as her commitment to bipartisanship. Fun fact, Tia and I overlapped overlapped briefly at the Nature Conservancy, where she worked for 17 years in her last position there as the first director of the Conservancy's Global Climate Change Initiative. This was back in the day when climate change was gaining traction as a top environmental and conservation priority. As she mentions in our conversation, though, Tia has been long in this battle. She was in Rio de Janeiro in 1992 when then-President George Herbert Walker Bush signed the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change at the Earth Summit, the U.S. commitment to help fight global warming. Eventually, Tia left the Nature Conservancy and returned home to Wisconsin to serve as Executive Secretary to the Wisconsin Board of Commissioners of Public Lands, which included a gubernatorial appointment as co-chair of Wisconsin's Task Force on Global Warming. It's safe to say that she's nationally and internationally recognized as a tireless champion for environmental stewardship and climate change education. I'm so happy, so honored to bring you my conversation with Tia Nelson. All right, so listeners, welcome back. And as I promised, I'm here with. Would you consider yourself the daughter of Earth Day, Tia? Um, given your father's role in, in founding Earth Day, is that a, a title that you respond to? Oh, I. Uh,
2: uh, it's it's. Um... That would be a good, quite the quite the privilege and perhaps an unearned one. I'm 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 the daughter, the proud daughter of the founder of Earth Day, and uh, doing my part best as I can. Filling my father's shoes would be a, um, a big challenge for anybody.
1: So you know, I actually had this realization this year. So I know last year Earth Day celebrated its 50th anniversary, and we were in a little bit of a situation, you know. COVID was unfolding and people were shutting down. And and so it really didn't click until this year's Earth Day, which our listeners, I know it was last week, but um, T and I are speaking on Earth Day Eve. So the day before the 51st Earth Day that I realized I'm the same age as Earth Day. <laughs> so um, I will never forget how old Earth Day is, I guess, now, unless I forget how old I am. Anyway, I thought it would be very interesting for our listeners to hear from you what it was that inspired your father senator former former uh late senator gaylord nelson to found earth day what inspired him and uh, so let's just start with that I, I i guess i had some follow-up questions but i'll try to remember those for later
2: oh well great um uh, thank you uh, for that question, um, my father often said that he acquired his passion for nature um, through osmosis, growing up uh, uh, a little boy in a small town in northern Wisconsin um, called Clear Lake, and. He was an advocate for uh, the environment at a very uh, early age. I I think he was around 10 when he tried to convince the town council to plant more trees on Main Street. Uh, You know, nature was his playground and um, he canoed and fished with his father on the St. Croix River, not uh, far from where he was born and raised. And he was inspired at age... 10, sitting on uh, his father's shoulders, uh, they'd driven in a Model T Ford to Amory, Wisconsin, which my father jokingly referred to as the budding metropolis of Polk County. Um, Mm -hmm. And if uh, you'd ever visited the area, you'd you'd be in on the joke. Um, But at that time, politicians uh, frequently campaigned by traveling uh, the state by whistle stop train. And Bob LaFollette Jr. gave an inspiring speech that my father, the cop, captured my father's uh, imagination there as a child with his father, and driving home from Amory to Clear Lake in a Model T Ford, my grandfather asked my father, you know, what what he what his perceptions of of the speech and experience were, and my father said that uh, because of that uh, speech. Um, And his sense that Bob LaFault was doing something um, important as a public service and uh, as a public servant and and um, trying to make the world a better place that that he, my father, wanted to grow up and become a United States senator. And uh, then he paused and he expressed uh, his big worry um, to his um, to my grandfather, his father which still makes me laugh. And he said his big fear was that by the time he grew up, there'd be no problems for him to solve because Bob LaFalle would have already solved them.
1: Wow, don't um, we if that had been the
2: case. <laughs> so, so suffice to say that didn't happen. My father was first elected governor. He earned the moniker, um, uh, the conservation governor, by proposing um, what was... Uh, Uh, nationally uh, um, recognized as a bold state plan to protect um, uh, public lands, um, hunting and fishing areas, recreation areas, natural areas, uh, by putting a penny a pack tax on cigarettes and dedicating the funding to protecting special places in Wisconsin.
1: Sort of almost like an early LWCF
2: yeah, yeah, right, right. And so that that uh, off to Washington, he went with that um, uh, ethos and he was very frustrated um, in that he couldn't seem to get anyone to pay attention to the issues that he thought were so critical around clean air, clean water. Keep in mind that uh, until the first Earth Day, there was no Clean Air Act. There was no Clean Water Act. There was no Environmental Protection Agency, which was created by uh, Richard, President, Republican President Richard Nixon, um, to protect all of our rights, every American's right to breathe clean air and drink clean water. Uh, None of those things existed at the time. And he convinced President Kennedy to go on a conservation tour um, several months before the president was assassinated. The tour was a disappointment uh, to my father, failed to achieve what he had hoped, uh, namely to to have a prominent public figure help uh, galvanize politicians and wake them out of their lethargy, my father uh, would say, um, and pay attention to these issues that are so critical to public health well-being and in and, and our economy. And um, so he ruminated for some years after that failed conservation tour with President Kennedy, and in 1969, he went out to see the oil spill off the shores of Santa Barbara, the largest oil spill in American history at the time, and he picked up a magazine uh, in the airplane flying home from there and read an article about how anti-war uh, uh, teach-ins on college campuses across America were changing the narrative around the morality of the Vietnam War. And that's when he had his aha moment um, and proposed a national teaching on the environment.
1: What do you think he would say today if he could see that 51 years later, this is still a day that we're commemorating in our own ways and that that spirit is still alive?
2: Well, I, I know that he would be surprised and delighted. Um, he never anticipated it would be a recurring event or become uh, the what, the most significant part of, of his uh, legacy of public service and environmental advocacy. And he would um, certainly celebrate that. Earth Day was successful beyond his wildest dreams. 20 million people gathered on that day. Um, largest uh, uh, secular event in American history. And... Um, Uh, I think he would have a sense of uh, of, uh, satisfaction. He would also be greatly concerned because the challenges we face today, um, especially on the issue of climate change, are are so enormous.
1: So enormous. And, And I was doing some reflecting back in preparation for our conversation. As I mentioned to listeners in the introduction, you and I overlapped very briefly at the Nature Conservancy. I was there for two years, 2003 to 2005, And you were running the climate department, which maybe only had a handful of of people at that time. And and what I distinctly remember was the vote, the first vote on the McCain-Lieberman bill happening when I worked at TNC and that I was in the government relations department. So we were kind of all hands on deck to call our contacts in the Senate and say, The Nature Conservancy wants you to vote for the McCain-Lieberman bill, but we can't give any public praise after because we haven't talked to our board and we don't have board approval. And I do recall that it was a really big deal to move the board at that time. And now, fast forward, it's been almost 20 years, and every conservation or environmental group's probably number one priority
2: is climate change. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, when I I started at the Nature Conservancy in government relations and um, before uh, then uh, working on uh, conservation policy in Latin America and then becoming the first uh, director of the Global Climate Change Initiative, I was in Rio de Janeiro at the Earth Summit in 1992 when George Herbert Walker Bush signed the Framework Convention on Climate Change and uh, stated publicly that uh, it was his intention to have the United States lead the world in addressing uh, the climate crisis. And um, so uh, it's been a long journey for me and I, on the eve of the fifty fourth first Earth Day, um, remain in a fairly complicated dance between hope and despair. I I can't help but look back at at a Republican president leading on this issue in 1992. um, And um, I can't help but reflect on the missed opportunities um, uh, to uh, achieve um, better outcomes and to have uh, prevented the crisis from getting to uh, the place that it is uh, today.
1: One thing that we talk a lot about on this podcast is the spirit of bipartisanship, but also the necessity of bipartisanship. And and you and I had a quick talk about that um, in our, our conversation before recording that you can't get it done, you know, that the environmental community can't get it done on its own. Right. And, and I look back not quite so long ago as McCain Lieberman, but in, 2010, President Obama had majorities in the House and the Senate and Waxman, Markey, the cap and trade bill passed the House, but it failed in the Senate and the um, Senators Kerry and Lieberman and Graham failed to get their bill off the ground. So having, you know, even a supermajority, which was what President Obama had at the time, was not a guarantee. You really do need that support from both sides. And I thought you could just talk about how. As somebody who works, you know, more on the left of center, and whose father was a, a Democratic senator, what that means to you, like how you, in your work, try to incorporate bipartisanship.
2: Well, that's that's a, a great question and one that's personally very meaningful to me. Um, you know, I. Uh, from a very early age, um, was eager to be able to spend time with my father, which uh, basically required me to take a keen interest in politics because he was a busy man and away from home a lot. So I begged him to let me uh, go to, uh, when I didn't have school uh, in the summer, for example, uh, go to the Senate with him. And I'd open mail in um, in the morning, I'd fetch coffee for staff, and I'd follow him to the Senate floor to vote. And watch how he how he operated. Uh, he maintained uh, strong friendships uh, across the aisle and and uh, my precious mother, who who just uh, passed away, became the convener at my parents house for these large, raucous parties that had journalists, Democrats, Republicans, staff um, and uh, some pretty vigorous uh, uh, debates and uh you know my father maintained a very close friendship with former republican congressman melvin laird who went on to become secretary of defense under richard nixon they remained best friends uh, during that period of time Uh, my point in sharing that is i i my my father's uh as progressive as he was as a politician um his his primary commitment was to be an honorable public servant and and he respected people um, uh, even if he didn't agree with the opinions they expressed and you know for the first Earth Day he knew it was critical absolutely critical to have Republican um, uh, support so he recruited Republican Congressman Pete McCloskey to co-chair a, a, a Earth Day committee um, to help him with that. And um, if you go back and look um, at the vote for the Clean Air Act uh, in the early 70s, um, there wasn't, a, I, I think there might've been one no vote.
1: one, right? one. Yeah, year.
2: it was all, almost unanimous. Democrats and Republicans uh, uh, alike, so... Um, I've been in this business uh, uh, longer than I care to count or uh, exactly revealed to your audience, though they can figure it out. Um, And I have um, in recent years seen the most important thing I can do um, is uh, to remind people that we have to build bridges um, across the political aisle, um, uh, across the cultural divides to create that social will, that political will uh, for action, and nothing is gonna be lasting and enduring the way we need it to be if we don't build that um, bipartisanship um, and bring to the table and respect the diversity of voices, Um, which was why I was so excited, so grateful, and feel so blessed that I got to know Uh, Bob, um, and that he agreed to appear in my 50th anniversary Earth Day film last year with Varshini Prakash, the uh, co-founder of the Sunrise Movement. It didn't matter to me that Bob and Varshini uh, had different policy ideas for how to respond to the climate crisis. What mattered to me was they were coming to the table together to have a conversation about how we can unite, find common ground, and uh, act uh, with a sense of urgency that's what's important so working with bob has been um a a delight i'm i'm certainly heartened by looking at the polling data that shows that youth today regardless of political ideology prioritizes climate change um and i also i've had a really had a blast working with uh, brent Suter, the pitcher for the milwaukee brewers um, who uh, uh, studied uh, the environment and sustainability uh, as a graduate of, of Yale, um, and is a great leader on the field and off, and uh, has this deep personal commitment to the environment. People like Bob can reach people uh, with their voice that wouldn't likely that I wouldn't likely be able to reach. Brent Suter, I'm not a sports person. Brent's going to reach people that I can't reach. I am interested in building bridges um, to create that collective political will uh, for enduring action. And uh, wherever two or more are gathered, um, I will sit uh, respectfully and and listen and share um, and encourage and respect. uh, those voices, and I think there's really no no more critical work today. And this goes well beyond the environment. The political discourse in this country has become so corrosive. Um, I'm just not interested in playing in that sandbox. I, I just uh, don't. I don't listen to a lot of um, um, hyper partisan uh, uh, talk TV or talk radio. Um, it's not news. It's just designed to uh, inflame and divide us. And I'm interested in uh, healing and unity and, and finding um, those uncommon voices that can help, uh, or those surprising voices that can help build those bridges. Um, and that's ex- what's exciting to me about Republic Ian's work and Bob's work, your work.
0: We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode.
2: What's you know, having Brent Suter, I, I wrote an article uh, that I just published um, about the important um, occasion of tomorrow when uh, President Biden has called a global climate summit to restart a conversation around global cooperation to address uh climate change he picked Earth day for a reason um, that's very exciting to me i and i i've written an article um uh, about that and the promise i i uh, believe it holds um for uh, greater uh, cooperation uh, to address um these issues and so Um, You know, the thing that, you know, I, I mentioned being in this complicated dance between hope and despair, and I recall just being in a really sort of sad and anxious place on the 50th anniversary, I was pretty stressed out. Um, and very committed to honoring my father's legacy, to doing my part, to promoting the film that um, that uh, Bob and Varshini helped me make. And uh, my mom, even in her, you know, declining uh, well being at that time, uh, could tell I was in distress. She asked me what was going on. I explained it to her, and she said to me, "You know, listen. You get up in the morning, armed with your values." You do what you can with what you got. Um, and I genuinely believe if we all do that, um, uh, there's there's hope to be celebrating a, a really uh, awesome 100th anniversary um, of Earth Day. And I reflect on um, how these... You know, Earth Day was successful beyond my father's wildest dreams. He called for a simple idea and it took off in a way he couldn't have imagined it endures today uh, in an impactful way. He could have never foreseen that outcome. uh, Any more than Rosa Parks could have foreseen how she would change the trajectory, the civil rights movement, through a simple act of defiance, quietly saying the word no when told to go to the back of the bus in 1964. She couldn't have imagined the outcome. And um, it, it, nor could think of Greta Thunberg, who, who protested in front of the Swedish parliament silently with a sign um, and helped launch um, the global youth movement on, on climate. Um, these simple acts of principle um, can have uh, beautiful and unimaginable outcomes. Um, and we each have the power to make a difference if we get up and do what we can with what we got.
1: Well, I definitely lean more toward hopeful when I hear people like you talk, Tia, and you know, I am naturally a little bit more pessimistic, or at least I, I think I used to be an optimist in the last few years, um, <laughs> beat me down a little, and, and I always kind of have that cynical view that it's going to take something really terrible happening to unite us on climate change. And I don't want that to be the case, right? We've seen some terrible things the last few years. We've seen devastating fires and hurricanes and and hurricanes that that are doing something different, right where they'll come and sit on the land and swirl around and dump a bunch of rain and and so it's not just people that are living directly on the coast that are that are at risk of that kind of um, devastating flooding and and so I, I I don't want it to be that kind of um, event that happens, that brings us together, but sometimes I think that we get super complacent and for everyday people that aren't connecting their daily lives to the impacts of climate change, that it will take something big to kind of wake them up. And I was just curious as to whether this is something that you despair about as well.
2: Yeah, well, I despair about it, uh, especially because um, if if it's, it, I feel like we've had many wake up moments um, and, uh, you know, and we're, we're setting records every year um, uh, in terms of extreme weather events. Um, uh,
1: uh, well, I just saw a statistic that if you were born in 1985 or later, you've never experienced a cooler than average year
2: yeah and so my you know my 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 the the um uh, distress in me is it relates to the science of how uh climate change works right greenhouse gases uh remain in the atmosphere for a really long time and uh, we talk a lot about carbon dioxide which is a, a primary greenhouse gas there are others but you know, that molecule of uh, of carbon dioxide we emit today is still in the atmosphere uh, 100 years from uh, today. And so um, that's a cause for great concern because we can't afford to wait until some greater wake up moment occurs Because by the time that happens, uh, our ability to uh, prevent the worst outcomes, um, the window of opportunity uh, to prevent the worst outcomes uh, has closed on us. And um, I think we set a record a few weeks ago at the uh, Maui station that measures uh, atmospheric uh, CO2. I think we hit uh, 417 parts per million. Uh, and at the dawn of the industrial age, I think we were at, um, gosh, I should know this, about uh, 280?
1: uh, I'll I'll find a chart to link in this show. Yeah,
2: I I should have that number at the top of my, I have 417, I'm absolutely certain that's what we hit this month. Um, um, But we we were in the high 200s at the dawn of the industrial age. Um, And um, uh, it's, you know, it's hard to get people to relate to uh, the fact that every half degree warming matters, because it doesn't seem like that much. Um, But um, uh, the impact of the accumulation of those greenhouse gases, um, it it does hit a a tipping point uh, beyond which um, uh, there are uh, really dire consequences
1: do you think that there are lessons that we can learn from COVID that we can apply to climate action?
2: I get asked that a lot. I wish um, that I um, had a really succinct and clever answer because the one thing I, I, that I think is interesting is COVID has demonstrated to us that we don't live in our uh, uh, geographic silos, that global cooperation is necessary to beat this thing. We can't do it um, alone as a country uh, or a state. um, And uh, it requires um, uh, cooperation um, uh, and uh, it requires the best available science. And um, I think uh, COVID has told us we live uh, in a big global world and the environment's like that
1: too. Well, and and the inspiration that I'm taking from it, because not that COVID is at all inspiring, it was terrible, but there were two things, two points that I sort of connected to climate change. And one was the statistic that if we had started wearing, if there'd been a mask mandate three weeks earlier than people started wearing masks, how many lives we could have saved. So earlier action having an impact, but also, how quickly we were able to come to market with a vaccine. And I remember when when everything was first shutting down and and the vaccine experts were saying four years was the fastest that a vaccine ever got through the testing process into market. And I thought, God, are we gonna be four years of living like this? And here we are a year later. I'm half vaxxed as I like to say. My second one next week. Um probably the the day that you listeners are listening, I'm probably gonna be in bed with my um twenty-four hour achiness and fever. But that is my hope right that we when we cooperated and we have a shared goal we can come together quickly we showed that in defeating or on our way to defeating hopefully a global pandemic hopefully we can exercise that same innovation and cooperation to um, solve climate change
2: yeah well I, I, I share that hope and I'd also you know uh, simply point out that um, uh, the cost uh, of um, Clean energy and renewable energy has declined much more rapidly than any of the experts um, uh, predicted, such that uh, it makes no economic sense uh, p- uh, to build a coal plant uh, today. Um, and you just run the numbers, and and um, it looks um, uh, quite promising in in this rapid decline in in the cost of renewable energy, and that did. Um, require a government role too, um, as government has been required in so many other things, from helping to develop the vaccine to the early development of computers and all kinds of things. So research and development dollars can help accelerate um, big societal solutions. And that certainly is bearing out in a, in a, in a really promising way in the renewable energy world.
1: I believe it was just a few days ago. What Today's Wednesday. So this early this week that um, Senator Manchin met with the head of the Coal Miners Association and they said, we want to be part of the clean energy revolution, like make sure we have clean energy jobs and they're going to kind of I, I, get out of the way feels a little crass, but they're, they'll yeah. you know, they want to cooperate on on this transition to a clean energy future. And that's what we need, right? Because you know, as you and I have talked about, every every time you get a different constituency, so you have the the baseball players with your friend Brett Suter, and and we have conservatives, and we have young people, and we have farmers, and you know, each time you're clicking another piece of the puzzle towards supporting action, then it, it creates that momentum and that groundswell that we need, so that we stop wasting time and stop accumulating more of that CO2 and start doing something about it, so that if I live to be 105, like my financial planner wants me to project, given my family history. Uh, Listeners, my grandma's turning 104 next month. Then, uh, you know, I want to be around to enjoy what's here. And I would like to be here to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Earth Day.
2: I, 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 I hope for that outcome tia
1: thank you so much uh, listeners for the very first time i reached out to somebody as high profile as tia and she said let's record tomorrow that's never happened i appreciate your scheduling flexibility especially i know i speak on behalf of the whole republican team when i say that our hearts and thoughts are with you and your family with your personal losses your your mother passing recently and and i know that former vice president walter mondale was close to your family as well and a, a close personal friend and and it's been a, a trying year for sure and We're better for their memories and their words. You already quoted your mom. And so now I'm going to cry. Also a first on the podcast. But thank you so much for your time and your energy and your efforts.
2: Well, I'm, I'm grateful for uh, the work that you do, and uh, I'm honored uh, to work with Bob, um, and I'm excited about the work that all of you are doing on the Republic E.N. team to build those bridges for climate action. Um, it's critical work, and uh, uh, I, um, I, I celebrate your efforts. So,
1: Christ. episode that came together kind of at the last minute, but I think it was really awesome.
3: Yeah, some of the be- best laid plans, uh, you know, as they say, never that they don't work out clearly, but uh, great things sometimes come at the last minute. And this was a great interview with obviously Tia Nelson. But I think the fact she is the daughter of the Earth Day, you know, the founder of Earth Day, you know, former governor and senator uh, Gaylord Nelson, a pretty awesome get at the last minute.
1: I mean, so I had expressed interest to Bob, you know, they obviously you could hear from Tia. She adores him. He adores her. And I had asked him to help get her on the podcast. And she had just experienced this loss of, um, former vice president. Wait, was he ever right? Yes. No, he just ran as vice president. Yeah. Wait, he was vice president. No, he was Jimmy Carter's vice president. Oh my God. Where is my U.S. history? Um, she had lost him. He was important to her, um former vice president Mondale and her mother had just died. And so I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, like farther out, maybe after our next um, break period. Yeah. And she wrote back and said, I can record tomorrow, which happened to be earth day Eve. Yeah. I like, yeah, we are going to, I'm going to take you up on that. And so listeners, I know we've promised something different, but here you are and you're still listening. Okay. And and then Price, I just feel really compelled because it's super fresh in my mind and, and talking about Tia and the losses, personal losses that she's um, been emotionally wrestling the last um, couple of weeks. I, today, while I was in recovery for my second shot, found out that, um, a dear friend and former colleague of mine, Adam Colton, died of a massive heart attack over the weekend. And he was my age, you know, early 50s. Kids in high school, and this is a guy I will never forget. This moment in 2002, when my boss Bob Smith lost his primary. Adam worked really hard on Arctic drilling um, mm-hmm. against drilling, yeah. and he, which was something that Senator Smith was against. So he, you know, Senator Smith was um, among a handful of Republicans who opposed um, Arctic drilling, yeah. and. Adam wrote this like beautiful letter to Senator Smith after he lost the primary that was kind of listed the, the things that that Bob Smith made bipartisan because of his efforts. And I cried when I read this letter. I had never met Adam at the time. And then fast forward, um, I ended up working at NWF I was hired because he knew I had worked for Bob Smith, who had been one of his heroes. And then we were, you know, he was my supervisor, but we were also peers and colleagues and friends. And here's the thing, listeners, hug your important people, call the people back. You need to call back. He and I talked about a month ago. I owed him another phone call. He had sort of nudged me about some something he wanted my help with. And I hadn't gotten back to him. And now I feel really terrible. Um, but it's not me. I mean, I'm just heartbroken for his wife and his his teenage boy. The environmental community has lost somebody who really understood the value of bipartisanship. And, you know, that's a rare quality these days.
3: Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, so sorry for the loss of your friend and, you know, for his family. And like you said, his um, his kids, you know, there's never um – it's always hard. Doesn't matter if it's something you plan for right out of the blue. I think we've all experienced it on both sides of the coin. It's just terrible, especially when somebody has just gone way too early is the most important thing. And it's just, uh, you know, again, yeah, incredibly sorry for, for his family and friends, including yourself. Um, yeah, that's it's tough news, especially, um, you know, coming on the heels of having Tia, who, you know, lost several people that, you know, she was, you know, obviously near and dear to her mother. Uh, being one of those. And so, um, yeah, tough time, Chelsea. So our, hug, your our,
1: hug your people. When yeah. you get, get off price, go hug your wife and your kids and anyone else you have nearby. Or if you have that friend who you know, you owe a phone call to like, don't put it off. Let's just, just do it.
3: Yep. That's my- yep. Treat every day like the last day in a lot of ways, you know, don't, don't leave, you know, if there's somebody you're, you've been meaning to call, call them. Um, there's somebody you've been meaning to touch base with do it. Um, not to be morbid, you just never know. Um, I've lost somebody in the past couple of weeks that I just still am floored and flabbergasted over. So um, it's always the right time to reach out. Do it when you when you think about it, do it. Um, let's talk about a couple happier things. Um, you know, some new members in our community, Chelsea, which I want everybody to know make the pitch every week, Republican.org forward slash join. It takes all of seconds. Keith E in Ohio, Maxine L in Mississippi. Carrie K. in Wisconsin, Elizabeth W. in New Jersey, and Chris M. in Maryland, where you reside right there. I appreciate them for signing up. And as you can do it, too, it's very easy, Republican.org forward slash join. You get all kinds of great news, info, especially Chelsea's weekend review.
1: That's right. And, you know, while you're doing something for us and for you, Go on the Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. You know, it, it sounds like a silly thing. Like, what does it matter if I rate this podcast? But actually, when you rate the podcast, it elevates us and helps other listeners find the podcast. So if you enjoy it, I would assume you could make the presumption that somebody else would, jo- would enjoy it as well. And so just... I would love it if you could do that. And you know the deal: if you re, if you write a one or a two line review, and it's good, Price will read it. If you write and say you don't like my voice, I'm not going to let Price read that. But <laughs>
3: <laughs> please help us, help us help you, because it makes it easier for others to find our podcast, and we want to make that happen. Um, Chelsea, what do we have going for next week?
1: So actually, next week we're going to do um, a, a twofer. Um, we have Dorian Abbott is a professor, assistant professor at the University of Chicago, and he's going to talk about a climate change class that he teaches to undergraduates there who are non-science majors. And he obviously teaches other classes as well. But that one is sort of interesting to me, right? Because you there's a presumption that people who are in science majors or they're in a science discipline that they're they're going to be there and they're going to get it so I feel like the opportunity to talk to people who are non-science majors is a big opportunity and he said that part of his class is structured like if you are conservative here's why you should care about climate change and I'm angling to have Bob um, definitely speak to one of his classes So he's guest number one, and then our second guest is just finishing up her graduate work at um, Michigan Tech, and she has been working on this great um, idea for bringing solar to farmers in a way that they can still use the land, either for livestock or for growing, but they can reap the benefits also of solar, which they can use for their own operations, but they can also they're leasing their land to use the solar so it's like another revenue stream for especially for smaller farms that are a little bit more um economically stressed or are always a little bit you know the hits hit them harder than just sort of the big agro group so two academics together in one i think it's going to be great
3: all right chelsea until then we will talk to you and our listeners next week
1: that's right pray see you then
0: Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco-Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local Eco-Right leader.